Did you hear something? No. Hmm. Did I? I don't know. That's right. It's Simpsons time. Welcome to this portion of the show where I talk about a Simpsons episode. Oh, just give me a minute. Season seven, uh, nineteen ninety five and ninety six. It was a very important season. Uh, it's when we first met Homer's mother. It's when George Bush moved in. Um, and many other exciting things happened in the Simpsons universe, some of which we've talked about already, some of which we have yet to talk about. One episode that I really like, and I think a lot of other people like, is Team Homer. This, again, is from Season 7, written by Mike Scully and directed by Mark Kirkland. Uh, there's a lot of really cool-looking animation in this, which is, of course, the Pin Pals episode where Homer and three others have a bowling league and Otto is replaced by Mr. Burns because he's the one who financed the whole thing. Bowling, you don't usually think of as a very elegant, cool-looking sport to watch, but um, the animators really did a great job of Uh, not making it thrilling so much, but making it very enjoyable to look at. There are a lot of um, shots from the perspective, like unusual perspectives. Um, I'm thinking of the final throw that Burns does to basically decide the tournament, um, where we just see the ball in the middle of the screen. Um, balancing right on the edge of the lane before like not quite going into the gutter for the entire you know journey down the lane and you also see like the slow bowl by burns that takes the same amount of time as uh 
strikes by all four of the Holy Rollers team. And that's seen as, you know, sort of an aerial shot. And you also see it, um, the camera sort of in the pins, you know, and you can see the there's there's one point where Burns has already joined the team and you see all the pins fall down um, as Apu's strike and then you see Moe's strike and then you see Burns standing there and all the pins are falling down and then he steps out of the way and he's like, good one, Homer. You see that it's Homer who actually bowled the strike. Oh, boy. Um, the triumph at the end of this where... Burns is part of the winning team, you know, and even though he's such a weak player, they won anyway, is palpable. You know, like you really like seeing them win um, despite all of this crazy adversity. And Otto even gets a moment, you know, he doesn't know that he caused them to win by uh, loosing the screw that causes one leg of the claw machine to collapse and the entire claw machine to collapse but he's just happy because he finally gets the lobster harmonica and just and like you know yoinks it and then runs away so it's a very joyous moment and then you know that makes it doubly devastating when Burns has his change of heart back to avarice and meanness and stepping on the little guy and takes the trophy for himself. There's a very, very good B story here. This is the story of the school uniforms, which are instated at Springfield Elementary because Bart has riled up all the kids with a Mad Magazine iron-on that says down with homework. Uh, you know, always great to see Chalmers. And by now Chalmers is so established that, you know, we're really waiting for the moment where he's evaluating Skinner's school with his clipboard and is just about to give him high marks when something horrible happens. Uh, and it happens twice in this one. The first one when the revolution incited by Down With Homework spills out into the halls and all the kids are chanting Down With Homework and trample Skin uh, Chalmers. I'll just uh, go ahead and write the zero first. Now for a vertical line to indicate the one. He never gets to do the vertical line, ladies and gentlemen. Because the kids trample him. And then later on, um, when all the kids are dressed in their drab, horrible school uniforms, and it starts to rain... Skinner is once again robbed of his good evaluation by Chalmers because 
they are not color fast, the uniforms aren't, and uh, they suddenly are dressed in all these psychedelic colors. You see Martin with his shirt off, <laughs> down with the uniforms. I love that little twirl that he does. Millhouse freaks out. And on and on. Um, I like at the very end of that, when it dawns on Skinner that Mother uh, Agnes Skinner is wearing the same kind of clothes and she's in the park in the rain. And he's like, oh no, I have to go! And he runs away and Chalmers just says, this I gotta see, and follows him. And I love that you just don't see that, that that's just, that's the way they chose to end that scene of both of them. Chalmers being angry, Skinner being dismayed, just, you know, the, the beat that changes their emotions is perfect in that. So yeah, the whole plot of this is that um, Homer goes bowling, he is mad because uh, he has chosen to go bowling on league night, and so he can't bowl by himself, and so he forms a team haphazardly with people that are just around. And I like the team that uh, comes together, the first team, that is. I think it's a much um, more organic group than the B-sharps were. Apu and Homer, of course, you know, were in both, but the other two members are Mo and Otto, and I think those four guys would be much more apt to hang out together than Homer, Apu, uh, Skinner, and Wiggum would. That latter group were the B-sharps, of course. And it's great to see the other teams, like, you know, the other foursomes that are their bowling rivals. The, all the guys from the TV station all hang out together. Kent Brockman, Arnie Pye, uh, Krusty, and <laughs> Bumblebee Man <laughs> are all on a team together. They're the first ones to make fun of the Pin Pals quote-unquote uniforms. Quote uniforms, end quote, as uh, Brockman says. And I like when um, Bumblebee Man is like, Buenas noches, senoritas, with the handkerchief, you know, waving the handkerchief, t taunting them. Love it. Uh, the team to beat is the Holy Rollers, of course, the, uh, the Flanderses and the Lovejoys make up a team. There's also a team called the Stereotypes of Luigi, Cletus, the sea captain, and who else? I can't even remember. And the Springfield Police Department has a team. Wiggum, Eddie, Lou, and Snake, for some reason, is on their team. And he has a hilarious turn where as soon as he's allowed to bowl, he <laughs> runs away. Thanks to sweet, credulous Wiggum, who's always giving him another chance. 
Uh, but yeah, they're they're doing really well. They want to enter the tournament, but they don't have five hundred dollars to get the entry fee. So that's when Homer has to approach Burns. Well, he's high on ether, and that's you know why he doesn't just kick Homer out. He mistakes him for poppin' fresh, gives him the check for five hundred dollars. Uh, then mistakes Mole Man for the Lucky Charms Leprechaun and tries to drill his brain. <laughs> There's a grisly off-screen demise of, of Hans Molman there. And then when he comes to his senses, he realizes that he wants to be on the team. So that's how that happens. And then they kick Otto out unceremoniously, and that's mean. But as I said, they win anyway, which is great. And it's a Pyrrhic victory. Uh, Burns snatches it from them. And the very last scene I like, just because I always like to see the hounds, um running ominously across Burns's estate. You know, there's that sort of oozing movement that they make. It's always entertaining to me. And yeah, we end the whole show with Homer being ripped apart by the hounds and his loyal teammates who wanted to, you know, who always said they would help him out cowardly. Um... After all, in cowardice, they run away and blackout, and that's the end of the episode. The one lanyap from this that I forgot that I uh, remembered again when I saw it last night was that the squeaky voice teen is the son of Lunch Lady Doris. That's only uh, referred to in this episode when uh, he goes, well, on League Night, I can't even give Elaine to my own mother. Lunch Lady Doris comes by and goes, I have no son. So. Thanks for listening to Simpsons Time. Superintendent, I was just uh, stretching my calves on the windowsill. Isometric exercise. Here to join me? No. Hope you're ready for mouth-watering hamburgers. Yes. I thought we were having steamed clams. No. I said steamed hams. Yes. You call hamburgers steamed hams? Yes. Really? Yes. Oh, not a Utica. No. no. No, it's an Albany expression. Yes. These hamburgers are quite similar to Krusty Burger. No. Patented Skinner Burgers. Yes. They are obviously grilled. No. For steamed hams. Yes. Good Lord, what is happening in no. there? Aurora Borealis? Yes. Aurora Borealis. At this time of year, at this time of day, in this part of the country, localized entirely within your kitchen. Yes. May I see it? No. But I must say, you seem a good ham. Yes. Welcome to the show, Sasha Jones of Paid by the Tear on WFMU. 
Thanks so much for having me. I'm really psyched to be here. Thanks for for coming. This is wonderful. Um, For the past few months, you know, that the podcast has been going on, uh, I've invited friends of mine, most of them from FMU, to talk about their views on certain episodes. And um, they've all been men thus far. And uh, almost all of them have been like young men under 35. And that's fine. I mean, like, I'm not complaining about that. But I'm so happy uh, to have a young woman here. Uh, I would say that as far as fandoms go, The Simpsons is very, very well represented. Um, I mean, women are still a minority group in The Simpsons fandom. But uh, there's more women than other, you know, cultural phenomena. Right. And I think, you know, a big part of that is the fact that I, when I think back on it, I think both Marge and Lisa were pretty seminal in my understanding of, you know, um, feminism in a lot of ways. It's true. Yeah. yeah. I, Lisa certainly is a very feminist character. And so is Marge, you know, in, in a more uh, quiet way. And in a different generational way, too. Yeah. 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 It's true. Um, so would you call yourself like a super rabid Simpsons fan? Like, what's your involvement with the show? Well, my involvement with it goes back I mean, kind of literally my whole life, because the show, the show came on the air in 1989, and um, my family has been watching it together for about that long. Wow. Um, my uncle, before he got married, used to come over and watch it uh, with my parents and my sister and I at our the first house we lived in. Um, uh, yeah, so I'm about as old as the show, and I've been watching it ever since, and it's actually kind of involved in some of my earliest memories, which is what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, I, you have such a wonderful story. Well, not wonderful for you always. And now, you know, in hindsight, it's kind of funny. Um, but yeah, did, so your parents let you watch The Simpsons from... They like, did, yeah. From babyhood, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and it was... Yeah, was there any... Was there ever anything that you felt like they want you wanted them to explain to you or... You know, I can't really remember that so much. I mean, my parents were not very strict about what I watched, but they did, you know, they did have some boundaries. Like, um, I don't think I was allowed to watch The X-Files. I don't think I was allowed to see certain movies. But for some reason, The Simpsons was never a thing that anybody questioned. You know, I've talked to other people. I was always surprised when I found out that some people weren't allowed to watch The Simpsons uh-huh. because I think, uh, to my parents, the kind of combination of the humor and the, like, kind of... um you know, the humor that was not inappropriate, but was also pretty cutting in a lot of ways. I think, I don't know, we just all kind of enjoyed it together and kind of learned things from it in the same way. And so yeah, I think, right. It's, yeah, they never saw it as a threat or anything like that. And I'm super appreciative of that. <laughs> I think I've learned like half of what I know from that show. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, just speaking to my own experience, I remember my parents being kind of impressed that I was showing them something that they liked that much. Um, and, you know, that we could enjoy together, like, I guess, like you guys did. Um, and I could see younger, hipper parents being s- permissive with The Simpsons in the way that they might not be permissive of other mm-hmm. sitcoms because it was so uh, piercing the veil or, of mainstream TV. You know, like it was it was subversive and mm-hmm. that was OK. Um Anyway, you have perhaps a, a very traumatic memory. I'm sorry to drag this up for you again, but um, 
yeah, I understand that something happened to you as a kid and it reminded you of a scary thing in The Simpsons. Right. And that's the funny thing is that I don't really know if I even remember this or if it's been told to me so many times that I do. Um, and that's kind of a, another funny part of the story. But so, yeah, it was um, in 1994. I was I had just turned five years old about a month ago or a month before this happened. And uh it was really late at night. Um, we were all asleep. Uh, my parents, well, my parents, my brother and sister were all asleep. I was not. <laughs> um, I was uh, coughing really badly, and I had, I was about to find out that I had come down with this thing called the croup, which sounds extremely Victorian. Yeah, um, it's like Dickensian <laughs> d- disease, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't, when you told me that first, I didn't know that babies still got that, but I guess they Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I've never talked to anyone else who had it, so I don't really know how common it is. But in 1994, it was alive and well in me. <laughs> so my dad woke up and he heard this funny sound and he assumed it was our cat. So he kind of got out of bed, kind of groggy and came, you know, looking around for the source of the noise, which turned out to be me. Aww. And I was sitting up in my bed and apparently I was just having a lot of difficulty breathing and uh, my dad called up to my mom and he said, I think we should call the doctor. And once my mom figured out what was going on, she was like, forget that, call 911. Wow. Uh, which was the first and only time they ever did that. I mean, if it sounds like an animal coughing, it's probably like really, really bad. Right. Like for picture a, child. a cat coughing up a hairball, but yeah. louder. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's kind of what it was. Um, so, yeah, so it's, you know, it's the middle of the night. I'm only five years old. I, I'm having, you know, I can hardly breathe and I'm being loaded into a strange car that makes lots of noise and going to a hospital, which is a place I didn't even like going just to get, you know, regular treatment or Shots whatever. And stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so you'd think, you know, all in all, you'd think I'd be pretty freaked out. Um, but then, you know, when my dad asked me later if I was scared at the hospital or if I was scared, you know, when I woke up and all these things, apparently... What I told him is that the only thing that really scared me was that possibility that I might fall out the back of the ambulance. And, and fall into Springfield Gorge, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Because you might wonder where I was getting that image from, which is very specific and vivid. And um, that actually comes from the episode eight of season two of The Simpsons, Bart the Daredevil. <laughs> a, a classic. Stone a classic. Cold classic. Yeah, exactly. Because, yeah, that would have aired on December 6, 1990, when I was only about 14 months old. But the thing about that episode is that, um, first of all, it's apparently Matt Groening's favorite episode of the whole of the whole show. One of them, he has said. Well, he checked out pretty early, but, yeah, I think <laughs> yeah. that, you know, it makes sense. Like, of the first three seasons, it's one of the best ones. Yeah, and it's also one that got referenced a lot, um, a lot of times over the course of the show, it turns out. Like, that specific clip of Homer... Um, falling into the gorge the first time on the skateboard and then again out of the ambulance has been uh, used in flashbacks like in episodes over time like a bunch of times so much that it's now a cliche yeah that everyone's like oh everyone's heard of that memory before like, yeah like in, <laughs> I think that's in like a, a season 13 or something uh-huh. do, yeah. yeah when they were doing the clip show I think the maybe the last clip show that they did was season 13 mm-hmm. and you think that they're going to rehash that one yet again yeah they exactly said, they say like oh everyone's already sick of that one Yeah, so it's funny because um, I probably would have seen that clip, like, multiple times by that point. You know, like, maybe the first time when it was on in season two, and then again, I think the first clip show was in season three or four. Yeah. You know, I would have seen reruns and all these things. Um, So it's kind of funny the fact that um, I had kind of internalized that, that clip as if it was my own memory, like, in the same way that, you know, repetition 
in your real life kind of gets things into your head and all of that. Absolutely. You know, so you have this thing that's pretty unrelated to my lived experience and yet was like, you know, a really quick thing to come up in my mind when I was in a really frightening situation. And I would say it would be a pretty good argument for not letting little kids watch The Simpsons. But, you know, (laughs) they're going to get scared by something. I mean, if it wasn't The Simpsons, you would have been scared by seeing something happen in real life that was that scary. Exactly. I mean, kids just, they get exposed to scary things. Um, Are there any other things that you remember being scared by in The Simpsons? Because, I mean, the animation can get really grotesque and strange, so... I don't actually, I can't really think of a single other thing, which is kind of funny. But one of the reasons, um, one of the, I was actually talking to my dad yesterday because I was fact-checking some of my memories of uh-huh. this incident. And he said that, you know, the reason he liked to tell people that story is because that was one of the moments that he realized that um, adults so often misperceive what they think children are going to be afraid of because, you know, maybe they assume that children will be afraid of the same things that adults are afraid of and mm-hmm. things like that. Right. Um, when it's not always, you know, and not that all adults' fears are rational, but for kids especially, it can be, yeah, it can come from a lot of random places. Like, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't scared of the Treehouse of Horror episodes at all. (laughs) So funny, yeah. Um, And I wasn't really, yeah, I can't really think of a single other thing that came up that scared me. I have to say, Homer falling into the gorge is really, I mean, the reason why it's so funny is because it is the violent joke, you know, the the joke of him getting hurt, like really taken too far, like taken so far that it's not funny anymore and then taken even further than that so that it cycles back around to being funny again. Um, And yeah, for an adult, yes, that's really funny. Um, Accidents being such a tenet of humor. But for a kid, you know, that the repetition probably uh, made you understand it in a way that you wouldn't have otherwise, you know, like they... Yeah. And not that I can really put too much analysis into what I was scared of as a five-year-old, but I do think it's interesting that, um, you know, a lot of it has to do with that kind of haplessness of the whole thing, you know, because um, kind of the whole whole thing happens in a way that's kind of similar to what my dad was saying about, um, you know, kids and adults not always being afraid of the same things. You know, you have Homer in kind of this uncharacteristic mode of being attentive and concerned for Bart's safety. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's kind of trying to convince Bart not to become a daredevil like um, Lance. Lance Murdoch. Lance Murdoch, based on Evil Knievel. Um, and so what happens is that he decides to to jump the gorge in a way, you know, in an effort to teach Bart a lesson. And then, you know, Bart puts two and two together. They talk about it. They decide not to do this. And then it happens anyways, mm-hmm. twice. You know, first he tries to, or he rolls off the gorge on the skateboard, falls down, whatever. Then he gets airlifted into an ambulance, falls back out the ambulance. So it's kind of, you know, like, it's kind of, I like to think of it as an early realization of the fact that you can't necessarily always safeguard yourself or the people you love from what you're afraid of or what they're afraid of, you know? Yeah, I think Um, that's a really astute analysis. And, you know, you're watching something happen on TV and you see a guy be safely loaded into a car, you know, like a vehicle or, you know, the, your expectation is that the next scene will be him safe, you know, Mm -hmm. but no, it goes on. Um, I guess the entire episode is about danger anyway. It's about putting yourself in harm's way and being harmed. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah. exactly. 
And that's kind of why I think it's a little funny that um, that this was Dr. Hibbert's first episode, because I feel like part of his whole MO is that, you know, as a doctor, he often says these alarming or disconcerting things with kind of like a chuckle or an air of detachment and kind of, you know, it gets at that whole like idea, you know, that hospitals for one thing and healthcare can be like, you know, can feel like a tragic comic farce or a comedy of errors with a lot of consequences or like a cruel joke or things like that. And just kind of, you know, the connection between fear and humor and humor and trauma and mm, all these mm-hmm. things, you know, that The Simpsons really ki- kind of nails and that's kind of why it's so evocative in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, Hibbert is supposed to be the competent doctor in town. You know, there are, Dr. Nick is the totally terrible doctor, but then there are other people who call themselves doctors like Homer and Moe and stuff. Um, but yeah, he's supposed to be the one with the good bedside manner and uh, the actual knowledge of medicine. And it, he actually kind of has a terrible bedside manner. Like he yeah. never presents things the right way. He's always, you know, making light of people's misfortune. And um, and yeah, I mean, it's, I've known doctors like that. You know, they're just sort of punching in for the day and mm-hmm. going through the motions. Um so, yeah, I actually didn't know that that was Dr. Hibbert's first appearance. Yeah, I was surprised by it. I would have thought it would have been sooner um, yeah, than season I think, two. I would think but. so, too, yeah. Um, and, yeah, he's, he's still going strong. Um, I, I know that he was based on uh, SNL alum Julia Sweeney, who is It's Pat and, you know, many other characters. She was friends with some of the writers, and her name before she was married was Julia Hibbert and they named Julius Hibbert (laughs) after her um so that was yeah that's a good yeah that's a good tidbit um yeah no and I was also kind of thinking about you know the fact that like obviously being concerned about like daredevil activities is kind of a rational fear and you know my dad being concerned about me being at the hospital is a rational fear and maybe being afraid of falling out of the ambulance is not necessarily the most <laughs> rational fear I've ever had in my life, though, you know, probably not impossible. Um, but, you know, it kind of just kind of got me thinking about the fact that, you know, rational fears and thinking about the rationality of fear is helpful if you want to, you know, avoid phobias and all of that. But also it kind of discounts the fact that there's so much more to the way we are afraid of things than just fight or flight syndrome, you know, so it's like that's true. Yeah. A lot of the things that we're afraid of aren't just things that could get us killed, but, you know, the things that are uncomfortable about being, like, a living, sentient creature in the world, you know? Right, yeah. It's Everything is very layered psychologically. Mm-hmm. It goes pretty deep. I mean, not not everything. If you see a spider, then that's not a very deep response. No. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's a little bit knee-jerk. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, so what is your relationship with The Simpsons now, you know, having known it since birth, really? Well, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of like a language that sits in my head now, you know, like I don't actually, I don't actually get to watch it that often anymore. I haven't watched the new episodes in years or anything like Mm, that, mm -hmm. but it's kind of like, it's a way that I relate to the world in certain ways, you know, like oftentimes um, I'll remember bits and pieces of The Simpsons when I'm trying to think of how I relate to a certain situation sooner than I'll think about you know, my own memories, which is kind of a funny thing. Yeah, it is, you know, among Simpsons fans, definitely a shorthand. Yeah, exactly. Shorthand is a good word for it. Yeah, just for anything. Mm -hmm. Cool. So yeah, when does your Simpsons watching start? Like at what what season does it stop? 
Hmm. I guess probably in a regular kind of way, it must have stopped in about 2008 or so. But then I would still kind of watch like here and there. And then around 2012 was probably when it dropped off completely. 2008 is very late, though. I, I mean, that's it was yeah. after the movie came out. So it was like right when they were going to uh, full screen, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, when I left, uh, not, it wasn't until I left home that I, you know, until that point, I really still watched every Sunday when it was on the air live. So, you know, whether or not, like, it got to the point where it wasn't always that good. And I, you know, I didn't really laugh the way I used to, but I couldn't, I couldn't stop either. Yeah. And it's when you take a look at what else is on TV on a Sunday night, you know, the, it, it's a clear choice. I don't, that's how I think, view it mm-hmm. anyway, whenever I'm in front of a TV with with, with cable or whatever my parents still watch it which I think is kind of great oh that's wonderful yeah that's really great <laughs> do you have a favorite episode um you know I don't I I don't think I have one that I can pull up right now unfortunately that's all right yeah. I don't either I just you know I have like I'm really bad at the favorite five questions. or six <laughs> yeah <laughs> do you have a favorite character or favorite couple characters um Probably, you know, I mean, like, it seems really cliche, but, like, obviously Lisa is the character I've always related to over the course of my my whole life and all of that. Um, I don't think it's cliche at all. <laughs> I feel like she's one of the least popular. You know, oh, when, really? Yeah, when people... Interesting. Yeah, when people are pulled, they... Really? They very frequently say that Lisa is the one that they hate. Wow. And they like the rest of the show. And that's, you know, that's internalized misogyny, totally. Yeah. But, um, but I think that's really interesting. Um, I love Lisa, too. She's She's definitely... You know, I mean, she can definitely, she definitely has her moments when she's a little bit didactic or all of that, you know, but like, I don't know, especially having had, you know, having had a brother and all of these things and a brother and a sister, um, although in different age ranges, (laughs) I really could. um, Yeah. And that's, you know, that's another funny thing about The Simpsons is that even though it wasn't a family show in the way that you would, you know, it wasn't a wholesome family show in the way that there have been wholesome family shows in America, in American television and all of that. Like, it felt like a show that really related to my family in certain ways, which is also why I liked Malcolm in the Middle so much. Oh, you know? that's great. Those were some of the first things I saw that, like, made it, you know, made it feel like it could have been my family or uh-huh. whatever. Yeah. That's great. Mm-hmm. Warts and all kind of family. Exactly. <laughs> Cool. Well, thank you so much for uh, sitting in my uh, psychiatrist's chair and <laughs> uh, rehashing this memory, which it seems to me that you've gotten past yeah, you in know, grand I fashion. <laughs> I'm not having flashbacks anymore, <laughs> for the most part. Well, still, I'm very appreciative that you would dredge up this you know, painful moment from your childhood mm-hmm. with me. Sasha Jones uh, does a wonderful freeform radio show, Paid by the Tear. And uh, it's available. You can look at the archives and choose which one you want. Do you have any past ones that you're particularly proud of that you want to recommend? Um, let's see. I think last week was actually pretty good. Um, or to, I mean, that was yesterday. So that was <laughs> wow, July flies. 19th. July 19th, yeah. Mm-hmm. 2016. Cool. Thank you so much for joining me, Sasha. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Talk to you later. Goodbye. Bye. And thank you for listening to Simpsons Time Through the Debigulator. I'm Amanda Nazario. I look forward to talking with you next week. 
I remind you that there is a radio show, Nazario Scenario, where you can hear music and hear me talk about The Simpsons and talk about other things, too. Uh, WFMU.org slash playlists slash A-N. I also have a Facebook page for that show and this show, facebook.com slash Nazario Scenario. And the last thing I'll say is that the name of the non-color fast uniforms in the B-plot of Team Homer, uh, the name of the company that made them was Mr. Boy. And then they also had Mr. Boy for girls. And uh, I always think that's interesting because I know a cat named Mr. Boy. It's one of the cats that I take care of for my job. Uh, And so there, that is a little bit of information about my own life that I will leave you with. All right. See you next time.